0: Now let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 1 Peter chapter 3 and going we'll to commence the reading again at verse 1 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 to 6 remember it's all about the lifestyle of a Christian wife and we preached on that subject last Lord's Day morning likewise In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy woman also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but countrywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 9. And we trust and pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing these words of the reading of Holy Scripture. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. And my subject today, as I announced it, is the lifestyle of a Christian husband. Last week we looked at the lifestyle of a Christian wife. And this week we're thinking about the lifestyle of a Christian husband. Now this verse teaches us and tells us how the Christian husband lives out his life in regard to his wife. Now surely we can say at the outset that it's clear and plain that marriage and family life is under attack today. For many, it is an alarming and surprising fact Many are asking the question rightly, what is happening to the stability of the family unit? After all, it's the building block of a stable society. And here this building block of a stable society is being blasted and attacked from every side. Now, let me just point out that this attack on the um, family and the institution of marriage this is not a new development, folks. Let's not be totally surprised and totally alarmed. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, after God had brought our first parents together, Adam and Eve as husband and wife, and married them in the Garden of Eden. Remember, marriage is his institution. It's not the state's institution. And um, Adam, remember, was designated the head and Eve was designated the helper. She was called a helpmate, one to complete it, one to complement uh, and fulfill her husband. And then the fall into sin occurred. And remember, God came to them in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, and God asked the question, Adam, where art thou? And a conversation ensued. And, uh, and God uh, began to question Adam, what hast thou done? And what did Adam do? He was very, very quick in Genesis 3 to point the finger at Eve. He was really saying, Lord, it's her fault. This woman that thou gave us me, she gave me to eat, and I did eat. See, what was happening here to the first couple? What was happening in the context of the first marriage? Well, their their harmony and, and their unity was terribly affected. There was now disharmony. There was now a degree of Disunity. And way back then, at the very beginning of time, God's precious design of traditional marriage, God's institution of family life, here it is, it's under attack because of sin. And down the centuries, this attack has merely intensified in its veracity. Let me just illustrate for a moment. It's under attack because of disdain and disbelief. You see, If we were speaking today to a group of young people, say from university, maybe even the back streets of Belfast or any other major city or town throughout the province, talk about traditional marriage, talk about um, a stable family life, we're going to be told face to face, but reverend, it's out of date. Reverend, you're out of tune with our society. We have moved on. We don't have to get married, Mr. McLaughlin. Uh, Cohabitation. Well, well, that's the order of the day. You see, 50 years ago, and maybe less, there would have been a sense of shock in a community of a young couple who decided just to live together without getting married. There would have been the thought, at least, it's not right. It's not proper. There would have been a little talk, uh, at least among uh, the adults. Um, it used to be called, remember, living in sin. It's not anymore. Traditional marriage 50 years ago was the norm. Everything else was the mere exception. But I want to tell you, and please listen to me this morning attitudes have changed. Cohabitation figures for the United Kingdom are at an all time high 30%. That's 30 out of every 100 couples. Not married. And we're going to ask the question but why? And here's the answer it's not necessary. Even though Hebrews 13 and 4 says marriage is honourable and all, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. See, marriage today is viewed as old fashioned, it's out of date, it's for a bygone era, and it's something that's largely ignored. In the modern world, and it's been ignored even in Northern Ireland. Why? Because there's been a disbelief of the word of God, and there's a, a, a disdain of the word of God. Traditional marriage is under, also under attack by the increase of divorce. Not only the increase of disbelief, but the increase of divorce. See, far too many marriages today are dissolved by the state without any biblical ground. Don't we live in a throwaway society? If a thing is broken, (coughs) don't repair it. Just replace it. If the marriage is broken, just replace it. Either the husband or the wife. You see, there are biblical grounds, I believe, for a legitimate divorce. But many marriages simply are dissolved because they're deemed to be not workable. Couples, sadly, today are not prepared to work hard at their marriage like their parents were. And it is hard work to be married. Just asked my wife, been married for some 27 and a half years, and it's hard work. She has to work hard with me, I know. But many young people adopt the mindset, even if they do enter into marriage, oh, if it doesn't work, I'll walk. And they're not concerned. They're not troubled. And the Bible tells us what God has joined together. Let no man put asunder. And sadly, I've been involved in marriages in the years that I've been here, a number of them, and they have already been dissolved by divorce. And it's a sad thing when one partner who wants it to work and make a go of it and the other doesn't. And you see at the back of the breakup of the marriages is the devil. And many marriages today are are totally destroyed and wrecked because of sin. People going their own way, doing their own thing. So here's another attack. Because of divorce. One further thing and one further proof. Traditional marriage is under attack because of depravity. Not only because of disbelief. Not only because of divorce. But because of depravity. And I'm thinking primarily of the promotion of of same-sex relationship. Now we preached last Lord's Day evening on the myth of gay marriage. And I would encourage you to get the CD from William, please. I would encourage you to go onto the website. It's it's on the website. Uh, Mr. Mark Strong has it there. Today, there's a darker and a very dangerous attack being promoted against traditional marriage and family life. Two hundred years of Bible history, two hundred years of Bi- or two thousand years of Bible history, two thousand years of Bible teaching is being set aside in favour of the union of two men and two women. We hear the argument, but it has to do with equality. It hasn't to do with equality, folks. It has to do with evil. I had a man on the phone last night from Germany for an hour and 15 minutes trying to argue that very point. It had to do with equality. It's nothing to do with equality. It has to do with evil. There's a big crusade to redefine traditional marriage in the United States of America, in the U- UK, uh, and throughout Europe. Uh, and I'm delighted to hear from Brother Graham this morning that, that 38,000 38, churches, 34,000 34, churches in America have broke away from the Presbyterian Church in America over that issue of (laughs) same-sex, marriage and relationship. And and that's at least a sign that that God hasn't left us and and God uh, has a remnant. You you, you think of what we face now. A, A professing Christian, living in sin, not married, you think of a professing Christian seeking a non-biblical divorce. You think of a professing Christian in a relationship that's unnatural. And we've got to ask yourself, what on earth is happening? And I want to tell you why it's happening. Sinful man is turned away from the word of God. And we live in a day when people do not care what God said. And the the Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And what is happening today, because of this disbelief, because of the increase in divorce, because of the increase in depravity, there's a setting aside of the word of God in favor of the words of men. And people are, are forsaking what the Bible says, and they're forgetting what the Bible says, and they're failing to take heed, and they're throwing away. God's precious truth it doesn't matter forsaking and forgetting the scriptures of truth and that's a sign isn't it among repressing Christians that there's not the Bible reading that there ought to be there's not the studying of the scriptures this is an age of gross ignorance we live in a way when we think that we know best we know better than God and we claim the Bible to be the infallible, inerrant word of God. And we, we, we say that by way of testimony. We name that. We, 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 we say the Bible by nature is our rule of faith and practice. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. We say it's a God-breathed book. And then we turn around and do our own thing. But I want to tell you. As a rule of faith and practice, it applies to so many areas of our lives. It applies to the Lord's Day, our attendance at the house of God, our coming to the prayer meeting, the whole attitude towards sin and holiness, and even this aspect of family life and traditional marriage. Now, last week, as we said, we dealt with the lifestyle of a Christian wife. We said the key was to live before her husband as one who truly lives before and unto the Lord. Her chief concern is the glory of God. And out of love to Christ. She strives to live a humble, holy, helpful kind of life. She lives to serve. And, and to submit to her husband as a true daughter of Sarah. As Abraham the father of all that believe. So Sarah would be the mother of all that believe. This woman is chaste. This woman is considerate, this woman is compassionate. And having dealt with the the Christian wife, Peter now turns his attention to the Christian husband. And he just deals with it in one verse. After introducing the lifestyle of a wife in six verses, he turns his attention to the husband And he just deals with one verse. Now, there's a couple of things in this verse I want to bring to your attention very, very quickly. Let's look at verse 7 together. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. giving honour unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Here's the Christian husband's recognition of his wife. It says... Dwell with them according to knowledge. Underline the words according to knowledge. What does that mean? It means to be well acquainted with. To be aware of. It means to perceive. And I've looked it up in the King James Version. uh, A most reliable and faithful translation. That's a literal translation of the Greek. Dwell with them according to knowledge. (coughs) Remember Peter's addressing a believer. The husband here he has in mind is a saved man. Who who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. who, Who loves the Lord. Who knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he's saying to this husband who is saved. Live with your wife in accordance with your Christian knowledge of her. You see, it's a reference to having an intelligent recognition of her. Every Christian husband is to strive to understand his wife. He is not to ignore her. He is not to ignore the circumstances that she finds herself in or faces day by day. He's not to ignore her personal needs. He's not to be indifferent to her problems or insensitive to her concerns. He is to know her as she really is. Now, there's a reference here which has bothered me for years. Um, It it says, the weaker vessel. And I've often thought, what does that really, really mean? And uh, Simon um, Kistemaker, if that's the right way to pronounce it in his commentary in the New Testament, he he says this, it refers to uh, physical stamina. Not to intellectual abilities, moral courage, or spiritual strength. You see, even though there's a reference here to the weaker vessel, the wife is not inferior to her husband. She's not less of a person. She's certainly not weird, even though sometimes we husbands think that they are. And they're not being merely problematic. This is a reference, the weaker vessel, to her general physical makeup. And she's not as strong as her husband. In fact, it's the same word that Paul translates in Romans 5 and 8. Without strength. She's not to be demeaned. Even though she hasn't got the strength of her husband. That's the thought there. The physical strength. The husband is to be aware of his wife. Her real needs. Her wants. Her desires. Now... Isn't that where many of us as husbands feel? Men, we're saved. We can go through life. We get a knowledge of sport. I, I have to tell you, I'm not a football fan. I've never been to a football match since I was 16 years of age and almost got bit by an Alsatian dog. It was a police dog, everybody was running, there was a fight. So I decided to stupidly run too and the dog had run after me and pulled me down. I have a fear of dogs ever since. I thought I was going to get ate alive. Uh, and um, the police van was very cross and asked me why I run. I, I have really little, no interest in sport. Uh, many of our ministers uh, don't have either. Some do have, but people have a knowledge of sport. Teams, trophies, (laughs) tournaments. Others have a knowledge of cars, the speed of a car, the spec of a car, the shape of a car, the style of a car. Uh, Others have knowledge of work, um, taken up with figures, forecasts, features of analysation of this, that and the other. Many have a keen knowledge of politics, the politicians, name them by name, their their, their policies uh, and the, the party they're involved in. Here's a thought addressed to husbands. Dwell with them according to knowledge. And the truth is that many know more about sport and cars and work and politics. And yet the Bible tells us to know your wife. And if we were to ask the question, what does your wife really want, need or think? The truth is, some of us would have a mere blank expression. We'd think, well, well let me see now. Do you know... I don't know. I, d- I don't really have an idea. Is it not a sign, an indication, we don't really know them as we ought? Her cares, her fears, her problems, her troubles, her worries. Things that are a drudgery. Those things that are a delight to her. You see, the truth is that some husbands, even Christian husbands, can, can live like a stranger toward his wife. They're under the same roof. But there's so little awareness of her wants and her needs. And we need to learn to observe, we need to learn to perceive, we need to pay close attention to them. They don't have to spell out their worries, and their fears, their problems, they don't have to produce a list of her needs and wants. They don't have really to say, We who are Christian husbands, we should have a real personal interest in our Christian wife. So, The husband has a recognition of his wife. He considers her. (coughs) He also communicates with her. Isn't it true today that many couples don't talk? They can be in the home. She's in one room. He's in another. They can be driving in the car. (coughs) And there's silence. And the silence is only broken by the radio. Or the command, turn here. What way, dear? Turn left. And I usually go right. Uh, But anyway... um, Stop so we can go to the shop. You see, isn't it true? We, we live busy lives. We have hectic schedules. And um, add into that relationship of the husband and wife when children come along with all the responsibility of child wearing and, and there's lots of times there's problems and there's pressures in the relationship. And oftentimes we are husbands. We, we fail to ask our wife how they feel or think and we're not really listening even when they begin to tell us. Sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. Now, turn with me just as a a side issue here, very quickly there, to Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Here's a couple of verses that I've found always to be a tremendous blessing to me. Um, Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it be ministered grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, grieving of the Holy Spirit of God is possible. I believe we can quench the Spirit individually and even in the church. I believe we can um, grieve Him. I believe we can fix Him. Public sin and private sin. Now look at verse 31 of the same chapter, Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. See, here's a broad statement, isn't it? This is not the way to behave. Paul is telling them in the house of God. These things ought not to be amongst the assembly of God's people. The way we ought to behave in the house of God applies to the way we ought to behave in the home, and especially in our interpersonal relationship with our wives. It's communication on the basis that it's communication without bitterness, without wrath, without anger, without clamour, without evil speaking, without malice. Think of our conversation with our wives, think of the words. (laughs) Oftentimes in a situation, we become explosive. And when we're explosive, that's sinful and it's wrong. Link into it verse 32. Here's the opposite. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Here's a favourite verse of mine Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There has to be communication. It has to be communication that's open and honest, it's tender, it feels for her. Let me just illustrate if I can. Suppose a man's a long day at work, he comes home, there's no dinner, the house is maybe cold, it's maybe the beds are not made, maybe it's a bit unkempt. and the wife of course, she's had a long day at home too, maybe with the children, a few things have gone wrong, maybe one of the children has been sick, or there had to be a visit to the dentist, or there's the complaint that Mrs. So-and-so kept me so long talking at the school, I just couldn't get away from her. And um, maybe the position is with the saucepan of milk has boiled over or the phone has rung continually. It's been those people with those I want to sell you Windows or there's something wrong with your Windows computer. Or the Russian mafia have hacked your computer and we need you to, to speak to you about it. And all these things have happened. And really at the end of the day, the wife's at the end of the tether. And the husband comes home now through the door. It's five o'clock, maybe six o'clock. The house is in a mess. The beds are not made. There's no dinner. And so often, and this is true, the husband can be upset. The husband can be cross and angry. And I've dealt with husbands in that very, very situation. And what does the husband need to do? I've said to Christian husbands, you need to assess the situation. You need to give the wife space. Consider it from her point of view. And say, it's okay, dear. We'll sort the children out. Maybe go for a walk. Maybe have a cup of tea. Maybe go and take a bath or something. We can eat dinner later. And, and you see, and that diffuses the situation. And the, the wife feels... Well, well, my husband's thinking about me. He's considering me and he's communicating with me in an open way. He, he also comforts her and that's a tremendous thing to do. He, he counsels her with words of wisdom. There, there's godly advice from the book of God, from the scriptures. Here's the husband's recognition of the wife. Notice something else very quickly. and I'm watching this clock. It's 25 past. The Christian husband's retention of his wife. Note the words and this was something that, that, that struck me if you look back at the text. Likewise your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them. It's not a very strange word. Dwell with them. And you see, again, I looked it up. I have the advantage of knowing a little Greek that was taught in the Whitfield College of the Bible, just a little, so I'm certainly not boasting. But this word, uh, dwell, is only used here in the New Testament. It's only used once. And the idea is to reside in a close, intimate relationship. Isn't that tremendous? Not only the recognition of his wife, but the retention of his wife, he's in a very close relationship with her. It speaks of companionship, it speaks of communion, it, it speaks of a union, it, it speaks of, of an abiding relationship. In other words, he abides with his wife, he, he resides at the same address. There's a retention of, of um, companionship here. And they're together as much as possible. Where you've got one, you've got the other. Did you ever hear of Darby and Joan? Where you see one, you see the other. See, that's what it means to dwell. They, they, they can't bear to be without each other. And they hate it when circumstances force them to be separate. That, that's the thought. Could you imagine a relationship, a husband and wife, and he doesn't want to be in his wife's company. He's away too much unnecessarily. He, he spends more time apart than he does at home. He comes from work and he goes straight to the pub. But some husbands do that. Christian husbands, of course, shouldn't. Or to spend time with the male friends. Or go from work to his parents' house. You see, if that's... if that's, Now, I, I'm not talking about exceptions, because there's always exceptions, isn't there? Aged parents, unwell, and it's not possible to rush straight home uh, to the wife. But there's something wrong if the husband doesn't want to be in close Fellowship and close union and communion at all times were possible with his wife. The married man's desire will be towards his wife, it will be towards his family. He will hate to be away, he longs to abide there. He desires his wife and his family. She's the one that he loves. It's his voice that he delights to hear. He delights in her. He desires her. He's dedicated to her in a very exclusive, faithful relationship. And sometimes, if there's the absence of that, then there's something wrong in that relationship. There are things that are missing. If there's a lack of delight, lack of desire, lack of dedication, then folks, something's wrong. Now, just think of this. Think of how Christ desires us. Think of how Christ delights in us. Think of how Christ is dedicated to us. For all the Lord has done for me. I never will cease to praise him. His love, his grace, his mercy in our relationship. And our relationship should reflect the way Christ deals with us. How he abides with us. (coughs) Notice something else very quickly. The Christian husband's respect of his wife. It says here in the text, Giving honour to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Giving honour. What does that mean? It means he praises her. He appreciates her. He adores her. Over there in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31, you've got a tremendous portion of scripture. I would encourage you wives and you husbands that are here to to read that portion again uh, and to read it uh, continually. Um, Proverbs 31 is really all about from verse 10 onwards the excellent wife who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Notice this the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her So that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then it it comes down then to um, verse 28. Her children (coughs) arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Underline those words. See, the husband in this context here is a prominent figure. He sits at the gate. He's some important official uh, for the city, and she keeps his household. He trusts her. He appreciates her. He praises her. He takes joy in the things that she does, all the way that she lives. She lives for the good of the family. It's genuine praise, it's not mixed with hypocrisy. It's frequent praise it's personal praise he doesn't put her down he doesn't belittle her he doesn't bad mouth her oh boy have you lived with my wife he certainly doesn't beat her see i want to say a christian husband should never beat his wife and any that does needs to repent and get right with the lord now here's the question how much recognition Knowledge do we have of our wives? Do we have this desire to, to reside where they're at? And hate it when circumstances force to be apart? Have we got this respect? And at the heart of what we're saying this morning is that the Christian husband is a redeemed man. It, it talks here in the text, um, being heirs together of the grace of life. This man's safe. And because he loves the Lord, and because he lives for the honour and glory of the Lord, he's taken seriously what God tells him to do as a husband. And really when he goes to prayer, his thought is, Lord, make me the best husband that is possible for me to be. And help me to love my wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that's the key. That's the secret. I trust this morning, as we've just opened up the text, I'm going to stop it there, there's another part of the text that I, I want to try and explain. It's something that has always bothered me, that your prayers be not hindered. And uh, we're, we're going to maybe deal with that. Not, not next Lord's Day, because it's Easter Sunday, but the following Lord's Day, then we'll deal with the second part of this <coughs> verse. But but I've just opened it up, and I trust you've whetted your appetite. Uh, I know that I've tried my best uh, to, to, to explain the text to you, uh, I, I have wrestled with it for quite some considerable time. And I trust that this has opened it up a little. And you'll begin to understand, here's the lifestyle of a Christian husband. And we ask ourselves before the Lord, Lord, I'm a Christian husband. I'm redeemed, Lord, is this true of me? Do I know my wife? Do, do I delight and desire and am dedicated to her and her well-being? And do I praise her with a praise that's genuine, frequent, and personal, and spiritual because we're heirs together of the grace of God. May the Lord take these few truths and bless them to your heart this morning.